0: Hey y'all! Welcome to Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. I'm Abby Artemisia of The Wander School. Each episode, I bring you stories, tips, and tricks from foragers and wildcrafters around the world to empower you on your wild path. Please remember to practice safe foraging by being 100% positive of your identification before consuming anything wild. Happy listening! Come on everyone and gather around
1: Listen to the soothing in this sound
0: I'm here to tell you that medicine Don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground The medicine we need grows all around It's been a while since we started this journey, so we decided to start off 2023 with a brand new season of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. If you haven't already, go back and listen to the previous episodes. There's some really good wisdom there from some fantastic folks. I just released something I've been dreaming about for years. It's called Botany Breakdown. It's a virtual botany course for foragers, herbalists, and everyone else where I break it down and demystify botany, making it fun. Yes, it actually can be fun and accessible for you. And if you dig this podcast, like, review, and share it with someone you can empower on their wild path. This episode was made possible by the generous support of listeners like you. Thank you. If you like the stories, tips, and tricks you hear and want to hear more from wildcrafters and foragers around the world, donate today to help with production costs at thewanderschool.com or join us on Patreon where you'll get ongoing botanical education and bonuses from every podcast interview at patreon.com slash thewanderschool. If you're listening to this in an app, be sure to check out the show notes under the podcast tab at thewanderschool.com. Now, let's get to the good stuff this episode. Hello everyone, it's me, Abby, and I'm so excited to be back with you. It's been a little while since I have recorded a podcast, there has been so much chaos and flux happening Um, I am actually getting ready to move next week, oh my goodness, and preparing for year two of Wellcrafted Herb School, which I am so excited for, and also recording my virtual botany course, Botany Breakdown, so make sure to check all of those things out on the website at thewonderschool.com. and I am so excited for spring. I can't believe it, one of my friends found ramps the other day, and then I started seeing them popping up, so um, just a little note, if you harvest ramps, please do it sustainably, and um, research that if you don't know about it, or we can talk about it later, but today I am mostly just super excited to finally get to talk to my new friend, Linda Black Elk, Today was actually the first time that we have spoken audible words to each other. We have communicated online with each other for a while, and more on that later. But um, I am just so excited and honored to have Linda here. So, hey, Linda. Hi, Abby. Thanks so much for having me. It is so good. You know,
1: I feel I think I feel like I know you probably better because I watch your videos, too. Um, So yeah. (laughs) So it's weird to think you're right. We hadn't spoken audible words to each other, just emailed and stuff back and forth. But but I've I've watched your videos and everything, too. And they're amazing.
0: Oh, thank you so much. I feel the same way about you. I watch your videos and they're amazing, too. So everybody check out. Linda Blackout's videos, you can find them everywhere, (laughs) and (laughs) I would love to have you um, introduce yourself and tell us a little bit about who you are, what you do, and well, maybe we'll save the history for after that. (laughs)
1: Oh, sure. Yeah, yeah. So I'm Linda Black Elk, and I am right now on the homelands of the Ocheti Shako'i, who are the Lakota, Dakota, and Nakota people of the Northern Great Plains Um, uh, in what's now called Bismarck, North Dakota. Uh, This is also the homeland of the Mandan, Hidatsa, and Arikara people. Um, So uh, I actually teach up here at a tribal college called United Tribes Technical College. I am the food sovereignty coordinator there. And of course, I teach classes in ethnobotany and botany and um, food sovereignty. Um, And if you don't know about the tribal college system, it's a system of about, I think that there's like 39 tribal colleges in what's now the United States right now, and a couple in um, what's now Canada. But tribal colleges are a system of fully accredited universities, most of which are on reservations. So for example, I used to teach at Sitting Bull College, which is the tribal college on the Standing Rock Reservation. Uh, Now I'm at United Tribes, which is an international intertribal university um, uh, that serves a multi-tribal population. So, uh, So I love it. Um, I, uh, I have a partner, a husband, uh, who is Lakota and we have three sons who are all Lakota as well. Uh, and yeah, I, I go out and I harvest plants and I preserve them and I eat them and use them for medicine. And, um, yeah, I, I work on building relationship with plants and with people. So
0: that's pretty much me. Oh, thank you for sharing that. I just learned something. (laughs) I also want to say to all of y'all listening, this is sure to be an amazing episode. So if you love it, please like, uh, subscribe to the podcast, leave comments for Linda and for me. And if you are able, please support the production of the podcast and you can get Bonus material if you join us at patreon.com slash the school And if you're listening to this somewhere other than through the website, make sure to go to thewanderschool.com on the podcast page and you can find the show notes. So any links that we talk about today will be there. And if you're on Patreon or you decide to join us there, you'll get a bonus interview. From this and every other podcast. And Linda and I are going to be talking about fermented foods because it's one of both of our passions. And she's going to be telling us a little bit about how to make it accessible for regular people and how to make it less overwhelming. Because I know for a lot of people I talk to, myself included, it can seem really overwhelming and hard to find at the time. So Linda's going to give us some of her top secret tips on how to make it easier. So, um, we, Linda and I actually, very interestingly, have a very similar background in some ways. And so, we both are from Cincinnati, Ohio, and um, grew up in that area, went to school there, and both went to Miami University to study botany. So I just think that's such an amazing coincidence. Personally, it just always makes me so excited to meet another female botanist because they're they're out there. We're out there. <laughs> but uh, we don't often get, like, a lot of airtime. And I think it can be... Very overwhelming to be a plant scientist in this culture. Um, yeah, and and unfortunately, sometimes, a lot of times, the male voices are louder and more amplified. So I'm really excited, and um, I'm guessing Linda that that may also be where you learned to forage is in that area.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, uh, my mom, um, is of course she's part Korean and part Mongolian. And, um, she had to, when she was growing up, she had to rely on foraged foods, you know, so that they didn't starve. And so, um, when she came over with my dad to, um, the United States, um, she supplemented her diet with things that she missed, you know? So, uh, so I yeah, I learned to forage. The very first thing that I learned to forage was actually not dandelion for a lot of people. dandelion is the first thing they learn. Um, and we can talk about dandelions later because it's one of my favorites but um but what wild onions was the first thing that I learned to forage and um my mom would like make soup with them and kimchi and all kinds of stuff. We used them for medicine and um yeah, so i I did. I learned to forage their uh, in the woods, you know, grew up eating pawpaws. My dad's a descendant of a few Eastern tribes. So I also had a lot of, you know, uh, foods that are, um, uh, important to them. Sochan, I grew up eating Sochan. I grew up eating poke, uh, poke weed, you know, and, um, poke greens. So yeah, amazing. <laughs> Lots of good foraging there.
0: <laughs> I love hearing that. I know it's like, it, it really is amazing because I've lived in North Carolina for almost nine years now, but I was in Ohio for 28 years, and I can still go back there, and I feel like I know more places to forage more plants there than I do here. And I think, you know, that's something that I love to talk about is this whole concept of place and connection to place and it's so important and like my heart just warmed when you said pawpaws so anybody who knows me knows my deep love of pawpaws and I have like I don't know how many several of them in pots outside that are hopefully gonna have a home in the ground sometime soon um but yeah, and then wild onions, I'm so glad that you mentioned that because I've been harvesting some here, and I think it's like one of the most accessible things for plants for people to harvest because it's pretty easy to recognize, especially by smell, and yes. easy to harvest and easy to throw in anything. So I was actually just going to post about that. So... Um, so You already mentioned a little bit about how you got started foraging um, and why you forage. Is there anything else that you want to share about that, about the how or the why? Well, I I think now, especially
1: with the way that the world is, uh, with... Grocery prices, ever rising, you know, um, all of that. I, I've come to believe that gathering, like the things that I grew up doing out of necessity or the things that I grew up doing out of connection to the land and to um, people are actually an act of resistance, right? Uh, foraging, gathering, is uh, hunting even, uh, there are all acts of resistance. And so I think it's important that, if we, um, you know, I think it's important for all of those reasons. Um, But, uh, you know, I think in this world where food really needs to be taken out of the capitalist system, it never should have been part of that anyway, where like, you know, I mean, it's, it's a basic human necessity that you need to survive, like water, right? So why are those things now part of capitalism and we need to pull them out of there. So I I'm a big believer in free food. Uh you know, free food for everyone. So um you know, I just I think that that's really important.
0: Oh, I love that. And it's such a good segue too because I don't know if you know this. <laughs> just busting it out on you is sort of a surprise. But um you were actually my inspiration for making my business, The Wander School, into a nonprofit. And oh, my gosh. Yeah, <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> yeah, because what happened, for anybody who doesn't know and for you, is um, in 2020, right? So March of 2020, um, the pandemic started. COVID started. We got word that everything was happening. And I saw you posting on Facebook like, hey, we're making these kits for elders who don't want to leave their homes because they're scared that they're going to get sick. And so we're putting together these amazing kits of um, different foods, including like foods they're asking for and traditional foods and herbs. And if anybody wants to donate, let us know and you were hand delivering them. So let's talk about that more in a minute because it's incredibly inspiring. And um, I saw that and I saw herbalists online, like on Facebook and places posting, hey, I really wanna help. What can I do? How can I get herbs to places? And I thought to myself, well, I'm a good networker. I love connecting people. And I have a giant apothecary that is just sitting there. A lot of times that unfortunately happens when you're a forager and wild crafter, you collect all this stuff and then it sits on the shelf and you feel sad for the plants. (laughs) Um, (laughs) and that medicine needs to go somewhere. So, um, I made the wonder school into a nonprofit to form those connections and, started sending herbs your way and working more with my community in Cherokee and relatives there. Um, And honestly, I feel like it's been such an honor and I've learned more, like it's been more of a gift to me than from me to be able to give that, to be able to learn from you and the people that I've gotten connected with through you. And Cherokee folks and, and other groups that I've worked with. So, thank you for that.
1: Thank you. Thanks for saying that. Um, yeah, that is, you know, what a crazy time. And of course, I remember getting all of your amazing herbs that you know you put together so beautifully. Um, it was always so helpful. And you know, I, I like those those kits really. Um, have. Uh, been a huge they they really exemplify my family's philosophy on food and medicine because there was so much um food as medicine in in the kits you know they were all organic shelf stable traditional foods you know low glycemic index you know if we want to use those western terms um uh things that that contained lots of medicine different tea blends and stuff that were delicious but also, uh, you know, beautifully medicinal. And, um, you know, it, it was it was fun to put them together. And like you said, we hand delivered them. We drove around to, you know, 15, 16 different states um, hand delivering these kits so that we could make connections with people. But also, um, you know, we realized these kits were super heavy. You know, sometimes they would weigh a hundred pounds and so especially the people we wanted to get them to w- who were elders um, wouldn't be able to like lift them up uh, out of the post office or out of you know even off of their front porch mm-hmm. so we would go in and we would take them in we would practice you know um, you know being sanitary and you know protecting elders as much as possible and um yeah it was it was such a crazy time because uh we, even though a lot of our friends were going out doing stuff hanging out with family our family stayed almost completely isolated for years because we knew we were working with elders and we didn't want to put them at risk so we basically you know uh stayed away from from people our kids went to school online and things like that so um, but it ended up being so worth it. And we made so many amazing connections with people all over and shared beautiful medicine and food. So very cool. Well, and we're still doing it.
0: <laughs> that's great. I thought you probably were.
1: Yeah. Oh. Well, you know, I, I mean, even though, um, you know, people have quit wearing masks and all of that stuff, um, you know, the world is different. The world is stranger now and food is more expensive than ever, um, even just like since the pandemic was over, um, <laughs> you know, uh, uh, p- the price of groceries has gone up almost 30% in some places. So we have more hungry people now than ever, um, you know, and, and we we really, I feel like that, especially having access to traditional foods is really tough, especially when people are kind of closing their land off to to others, um, because they want to save it for themselves. I mean, you know, it's, uh, it's a, it's a strange time. So yeah, we're still doing it still, uh, raising funds and making food kits for people and just trying to, and also giving people, um, a taste of like, I, I can't believe how many elders that I've met or in how many other people who have never had maple sugar, for example, you know, right. not just maple syrup, but maple sugar, and how easy it is to cook with, and uh, yeah, so we, we do that a lot still
0: oh, well um, let 's say it um, again later, but let 's say it right now too. What is a way that folks can donate to that project? Oh, well, yeah, <laughs> you know I
1: usually post about our fundraising efforts on social media um and and right now we're in the process of of a few projects um so we did a we we did a fundraising push uh a few weeks ago so we're okay right now um okay. and we're in the process of you know delivering um, making deliveries this week um but in the future we just basically accept donations by PayPal or Venmo and so we can put those in the resources
0: Okay. Yeah, we'll definitely do that. Thank you. That's cool. Thank you. Yeah, I'd love to help. Uh, and it's just so inspiring. And I, I partly wanted you to talk about that to let the listeners know that there are lots of ways that you can be helpful in in herbalism and um, doing the work of anti-racism a lot through the nonprofit recently. Part of that I feel like is reparations, and I do that through herbs, and herbal remedies. So uh, if you don't know how to help, you can reach out to me and um, send me a message at abby@thewanderschool.com. At a B B Y, and we can talk about it, and I'll I'll help you get things to where they need to go or start a program where you live. I love that. I think it's so so important too because. one thing
1: I wanted to say is I I don't know how many of your listeners might be aware that um, within my lifetime, so um, it wasn't until 1978 that Native people were allowed to harvest their medicines and foods. Mm -hmm. Um, Before that, it was literally illegal and people could be arrested and were arrested. And many people who were arrested for harvesting traditional medicines were sent to um, asylums, like, asylums for mentally, uh, what they called them mentally insane, you know? Um, and so I think that it's important to remember that, um, you know, if, if you want to make, like you said, reparations, uh, it, there are reasons for doing that, right? Like, like, yeah. it's, it's important. Um, a lot of, a lot of my friends who are herbalists talk about like their privilege as, as, um, you know, being white uh and not uh coming from that legacy uh recent not recently anyway of of being persecuted for harvesting um of course even people who are of european descent if you go back further were absolutely persecuted for harvesting plants um but you know it was very recent in my lifetime uh that native people uh got back their right to harvest. So.
0: Yeah. I, there's so many things I want to say right now, but I really (laughs) appreciate you sharing that because I think, um, a lot of people probably don't know that. And, um, you know, another reason for reparations is because a lot of the knowledge that we have in the West about herbs has been stolen from indigenous cultures. Um, So just a little tidbit for everyone to think about there. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, and I
1: appreciate you using the word stolen because I, Mm -hmm. uh, I hear so much when friends are talking, they talk about how, oh, so much of this knowledge was lost. Right. Almost like, you know, indigenous people just put it down for a while and just forgot to pick it back up, you know? Yeah. Uh, I even hear that word a lot, forgotten, lost or forgotten. Right. Uh, and that's not true. Like, a lot of this was literally stolen mm-hmm. or forcibly kept uh, yeah. from from being passed down, whether it's through boarding schools or, or, you know, through arresting or killing people. I mean, it, you know, those things have happened and, and, you know, there's still a lot of barriers to um to people re retaking that knowledge back so
0: yeah yeah there are and and again i don't think that a lot of people realize that but just um a couple quick examples uh we were talking before we started recording about the cherokee my friends and relatives um, being allowed recently to start foraging their, uh, traditional food, one of their traditional foods, a traditional green called Sochan. And I think, um, I talked about Sochan in the interview with my friend Tyson. Um, so check back in that episode, but, um, they the Cherokee are now quote unquote allowed to harvest sochan out of Smoky Mountain National Park but um, I'm going to have to research it Linda had said she thinks that there was something new some new legislation that was passed maybe opening that up a little bit more but originally it was 26 people right isn't that what you said 26 yeah out of thousands right Right. like the, the
1: Cherokee is one of the biggest tribes in what's now the U.S. um uh and and only a few people were allowed to go out and harvest Sochan and and you know so the tribe could pick a certain number of people to go out um and 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 they were only allowed to harvest so much you know like like a few handfuls or whatever um and they, and it, it's so paternalistic, right? Because they also said, well, and you can't harvest the whole leaf. You can only harvest what they call the turkey foot, which is sort of the end of the leaf that looks, looks like a turkey's foot. Um, you know, and it was just so arbitrary and the rules were so arbitrary in my opinion and random. It, it wasn't even, didn't seem like it was based in any good, you know, science, certainly not indigenous science. And, um, right uh yeah yeah so so while it was a victory you know uh mm. it was it was a really i don't know it was it was a questionable victory in my opinion <laughs> yeah but i think i think that might have changed by now but yeah we'll have to we'll have to look that up and see
0: yeah and um also Oh, gosh, yeah. I just every time we talk, I'm like, oh, there's so many things I want to say. But, um, yeah, I, I, when I went out harvesting with my friend Tyson and we harvested sotan, he told me that the Cherokee way to harvest it is that you touch each stem. So if you really think about that, how much more of a sustainable practice that is, And slow and how it really forces you to connect with the plant instead of, you know, taking a knife and just hacking off the top of the plant. So when folks are making these, this legislation about what and how the Cherokee can harvest, it's like, you don't think that they know the sustainable way, just like you said. So, um... It's, it's a different way of doing things, and um, I didn't tell you, but unfortunately, my Cherokee granny, a couple years back, got um, cited by a ranger for harvesting ramps, one of their traditional foods, on their traditional land, and um, had to give up the ramps, was threatened that she was going to have a gun. Um held up against her and her disabled son and um, was fined like $200. So I just am saying that because it's like that stuff happens all the time. Like other Cherokee friends have been um, caught on caught quote unquote on the parkway on the Blue Ridge Parkway, just not even foraging, just looking for plants. So Um, and hassled and harassed. So, um, I just do want to remind folks that this stuff happens all the time. And if you are white, you do have a lot of privilege. So, uh, there are people, a lot of people out there who don't have that privilege and aren't allowed to legally harvest their traditional foods still to this day. So, um, probably a good segue to talk about ethical and sustainable foraging, do you have anything that you would like to share about that? Sure. I, you know, so I,
1: um, (laughs) my, my, my views on this are, are sometimes a bit, um, you know, controversial, I suppose, but I tend to believe that Um, Well, there are a lot of examples of indigenous plants that are being over harvested by non indigenous people. Um, White sage in California, uh, salvia apiana is probably the most well known and best example. Uh, There are a lot of, you know, sort of hipster clothing companies who are even like getting little Shells and pieces of white sage, and packaging them together and selling them as smudge kits—very trendy uh, in in like these, you know, fancy clothing stores and things like that. And and you know, there there were a lot of Indigenous people in California who didn't even have access to that much sage, or or could see that the populations were being diminished, so they held themselves back from their own medicine because they didn't want to overharvest because so many non-native people were overharvesting and and are um and so i have like i said a controversial controversial view on this my thought is that if it is more sustainable to leave it um you know of course some plants benefit from being harvested by humans but Um, If it's something that is threatened or endangered or um, being over harvested, I think that we should leave it uh, for indigenous people and find an alternative because there are amazing alternatives for um, burning plants, you know, Um, and, and things that are very easy to grow things that are very easy to connect with. I mean, rosemary is amazing, you know? Rosemary is amazing burned. It's amazing in food. It's amazing in tea. Uh, rosemary is a fantastic plant. And and I, I don't know why someone would choose to harvest something that indigenous people need to have access to instead of using something like rosemary or mugwort, you know? Um, we and, and we can name, you know, there, there are whole posts and lots of great resources for alternatives um, uh, to some of these plants. But, you know, I, I I think that that's true. When we talk about ethical harvesting, what I always say, uh, there's lots of resources out and there's lots, lots of wonderful resources coming out um, uh what I always say is leave what you can for indigenous people, you know, bare root is another one also known as OSHA that's being very over-harvested. Um, indigenous people need those, you know, you might want those, but indigenous people need them. And, um, and there are great alternatives. Lovage is a wonderful alternative to OSHA, uh, you know, and there are other plants that have similar medicinal properties. So I would say, Consider that, consider where you're harvesting it. Of course, you know, every plant is individual as well. Like I said, there are some plants that benefit from being yanked up by the roots instead of just being cut down by the ground. And so it is up to you to develop a relationship with every plant you're going to harvest and learn their preferences. It's just like if you want a relationship with me you need to learn a bit about me and I'm different than you. You know, my preferences on what I like to eat, you know, how fast I like to walk down the street. Like if we're, if we're walking to a cafe or something, you know, if you care about a person, you learn those things about them uh, as individuals. It's the same way with plants. Some plants really want to be Um, treated you know gently and and you can only harvest so many leaves off of each plant Um, uh, but other plants are less you know particular about how much how you're harvesting them and and so, um, you know, you learn each one individually, and that's your responsibility, not just to people, not just to people. You're not responsible just to people. You're, responsibi- you're responsible to those plants, those plant nations. They are sentient, they are communicative, and they will let you know. And so uh, when it comes to ethics, you have got to build relationship before you get out there and start harvesting.
0: Oh, my gosh. <laughs> Thank you. I'm so grateful (laughs) that you shared all that because I feel like that is such an important message that I try to share so often and hear you say it so eloquently. Thank you. Thank Um, you. We also had to break it down once on social media for somebody white posting about white sage and trying to encourage other white folks to right, quote unquote, use it. Um, And it was very upsetting. And I asked Linda to come in and break it down because I got blocked on the person's site after uh, I broke it down for them. And so she came in and broke it down and then she got blocked. So um, y'all, this is not like we're not trying to be jerkwads here. We're just trying to you know, I, I, I've i gotten a lot of flack, actually, I'm sure you probably have too, on social media, things like, this is not a place for politics, and that makes me crazy, because number one, like, this is human and plant relationships, this has been around since the beginning of time, and this is our responsibility as humans, and, um, Yeah. And number two, like it's social media. That's just laughable. (laughs) So, um, Yeah. So I, I'm kind of taking y'all to task as the listeners, please, please. You don't have to burn white sage. You don't have to buy white sage and you can actually grow white sage in your garden. And you can grow culinary sage in your garden and you can burn that. You can grow other sages. There's so many other sages. And um, I encourage y'all to find out where your ancestors are from, if you can. Like, we don't all have that privilege, unfortunately. But um, there is a sort of on topic here, but I, I just... Got the honor of meeting Lucretia Van Dyke who just wrote the book African American Herbalism. So um, a lot of African American folks don't have the privilege of knowing where they're from, but that is a great new resource to find out more about um, African plants and African American. I I'm sorry, I haven't read it all yet, so I'm in the process and I'm going to interview her. But um, that is a great resource, and Linda and I are going to work on creating more resources for learning more about herbs from all over the place, So, um, and finding other resources. So thank you for mentioning all of that, and it's, it's fun to just think about what else we can burn, and mm-hmm. what else we can call it other than smudge. Because smudge is a word that I feel like should be reserved for Indigenous people. Not all tribes even use that word. And there are lots of other words that we can use. So this is where creativity can come in. And um, things like Sacred smoke herbs or um, fumatory herbs is an old European term that my friend yeah. Becky Byer talks about. Uh, so, so come up with something cool. Leave it in the comments. That's your challenge. Okay. So, um, again, there's so many things I want to talk to you about. So we'll definitely have to come on here again and do another interview. Definitely, definitely. Um, <laughs> But if you're just joining us, uh, we're here with Linda Black Elk, one of my favorite foraging botanists. And uh, thank you to all the patrons on Patreon who are supporting. If you want to help support the podcast, join us on patreon.com slash the wonder school and check out our bonus interview where we're going to be talking about fermented foods and making them accessible for regular people to make and getting over the overwhelm so on that note i asked linda to talk to me about one of her favorite plants that she's also going to give us a recipe for and she chose dandelion which just happens to be one of my favorite plants i even have it tattooed on my chest and <laughs> So I'm super excited to hear what you have to share about dandelions. Awesome.
1: Yeah, I I love, love dandelions so much. They they are one of my most favorite plants. And, um, you know, uh, I, I should first say that there a lot of people have, it's a very common misconception that dandelions aren't native. Dandelions are actually totally indigenous to North America. Um, they're uh, before... Uh, colonization, there were numerous species of Taraxacum, and there still are. Um, And of course, some of them uh, were brought over from Europe as well. And they've crossed with native species, um, I've talked to numerous botanists about this and historical botanists and historical ethnobotanists. And um, and we all agree that dandelions are totally native. But what we know as the common sort of like lawn weed uh, <laughs> is probably a cross between a couple of different species of, of Taraxacum. So dandelions are totally indigenous and uh, have been an important food and medicine for indigenous people all over the world, not just here. Um, but, uh, yeah, I, you know, I think one of the things that I love about them so much is that they're so vilified by Western cultures (laughs) and, and, you know, and so they're, they're made out to be this thing that you want to get rid of. Um, I've, I've made my, my old neighbor, she, she probably hates me by now because I've made her famous because she actually owns her own herbicide backpack. Like, to wear, like, like it's this thing that I guess is made by Roundup mm-hmm. and you can wear it like a backpack and it's this tank and you put water and herbicide in it. And then it has a hose and you walk around your yard like a Ghostbuster, mm-hmm. um, you know, spraying the weeds. And yep. and she had one of those and she would like spray her dandelions every year and she would get so mad at my husband and I for not killing our dandelions. And, you know, I tried to tell her I eat those, like, you know, we use those for medicine. And, Mm -hmm. um, and so, so then the crazy thing is, is when she, she actually ended up, um, getting, uh, being diagnosed with fatty liver disease. And so what did her doctor tell her to use? Her own doctor (laughs) told her, you start drinking dandelion root tea. And so, but so instead of like stopping the spraying of her yard, um, she still kept spraying it, but she would like go to Walmart and buy dandelion root tea from a box, you know? And I just couldn't, I, I couldn't even fathom. So, so I also, I started digging some up from, uh, for her from our yard and giving them to her. And she just thought that that was the craziest thing ever um <laughs> but you know i mean dandelion root uh you know it, it like i said so maligned but so amazing and and actually um was thought of before people started worrying about having a monoculture in their lawn a uh, dandelion was thought of as a food and a medicine the entire dandelion is totally edible and medicinal you know the flower um if you all uh you know, feel inclined, Google recipes for dandelion flowers in cookies and breads, dandelion flower jelly, dandelion flower tea. To me, I I eat them just raw as a snack while I'm walking along. They taste like honey. They taste like a combination of like bitter and honey. Mm -hmm. And, And that always leads me to talk about the fact that we believe in, in, we've been so convinced that everything we eat needs to be sweet or salty that we've forgotten about how delicious bitter flavors are. Um, and if you need proof that you like bitter flavors, first of all, coffee. <laughs> <laughs> Second of all, so, like soda, like Coca-Cola and Pepsi mm-hmm. actually both have bitter botanicals. I don't think they come from plants anymore. I think they synthesize the bitter uh, flavors in a lab these days. But originally those recipes came from bitter botanicals. Um, And, uh, you know, that's where they get their flavors from. We love bitter. We just don't know it. And whenever anyone has bitter greens, they try to pretend like it's this horrible thing they have to choke down. Um, One of the first assignments that all of my students do in all of my classes is to go out and harvest just five dandelion leaves. That's all they have to do. Go out and harvest five dandelion leaves. All of them know what a dandelion looks like, you know, so it's easy for them to do. Um, But they go out and they have to harvest five and then they have to eat them on camera. Um, um, And we're talking about, students people who have never foraged before never gathered before you know even though they're indigenous um a lot of them just never had that in their families uh didn't grow up with that it's something i feel very privileged about but they um they've never you know harvested wild stuff before and and when they taste a little piece of the dandelion leaf they're like whoa you know that's horribly bitter And, and admittedly, dandelion leaves can be more bitter at certain times than at other times. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, especially if they're growing in the sun and things like that, but I make them eat them anyway, you know? And I tell them, you know, I am not picky about how you eat it. You do whatever you have to, to eat those on camera, all five of them. And, um, Uh, You know, I want to see the video. I make them all send me the videos. And I've had students be so creative with it. You know, most of them just end up dousing their dandelion leaves in um, ranch dressing and and eating them with bacon bits and croutons. That's fine. That's fine. You know, whatever you have to do. I have other students who will, like, wrap the leaves around a thing of bacon uh, and, and eat it like that. That's fine. You know, whatever you have to do, put them on a sandwich. I I have students put them on sandwiches, all kinds of things, whatever they have to do. Because really the point is, is that I want my students to change their relationship with dandelions. Instead of thinking about dandelions, walking over them every day and ignoring them, or or worse, maligning them and vilifying them the way Western cultures do uh, by thinking, oh, God, that weed, that horrible weed, we need to get that out of our lawn. And, oh, the dandelions are creeping into the lawn. Um, uh, I want them to change their relationship and to start thinking of dandelions as food and medicine. And so whatever they have to do to change that relationship is fine with me. Um, so, so yeah, you know, dandelions, I uh, every the, the stems, I, I remember the first time I ate dandelion stems, my professor made dandelion spaghetti. And uh, I had never heard of it, but he said whenever he makes spaghetti for his family, he puts in half dandelion stems. You know, and he he gets those really long stems in his yard and he blanches them uh, during the last um, minute of spaghetti cooking. He throws the dandelion stems in with his spaghetti noodles and, um, and he said it cuts down on carbs, it adds medicine, and you almost can't even tell that they're in there. And so he brought them to class one day, uh, he brought dandelion spaghetti to class one day with the usual, just a jar of spaghetti sauce on there, and it was delicious. I couldn't, I couldn't even believe it. I couldn't believe, I, I couldn't even tell that they were in there, Um, you know, they, it was just Wonderful. So keto spaghetti, everybody. Yeah, I've never um,
0: heard of that. That's amazing. Thank yeah. It was amazing.
1: That. It was delicious. And, um, you know, I mean, the roots, of course, uh, uh, you know, I, my mom always used to get the roots and blanch them and then sort of tear them into strips so they were less tough. Mm-hmm. And then she would uh, make them into spaghetti, like a uh, spaghetti, a um, uh, kimchi. She would make dandelion root. Yeah kimchi. And of course, the leaves lend themselves very well to fermenting and pickling and everything. So, um, you know, and and just so good for your liver health, so good for um, your gut health. Um, uh, dandelions are so amazing for people who might be diabetic. They help with liver function, uh, uh, pancreatic function as well. I mean, you know, just such a beautiful food and medicine. So. You know, I really feel like it's important to honor dandelions Uh, and my favorite recipe. Okay. I, I, and I I give people this recipe all the time because uh, let me see if I can actually pull up even the measurements, but um, I give people this recipe all the time because it is such a perfect balance um, between uh, let's see. I wonder if I can find that. It's a perfect balance between the bitter of the dandelions. Plus it's spicy. It's slightly sweet. And it's also sour because there's a little vinegar in there. And so um, I'll, I'll have to send you the full recipe so that you can post it for people. Yeah. But basically it's dandelion greens that have been blanched just for about 10 seconds in boiling water. And then, of course, after you take the dandelion leaves out after 10 seconds, you put them in an ice bath to stop the cooking process. Mm -hmm. Um, And then you take the dandelion leaves out of the ice bath and squeeze all the water out. And you add a dressing of garlic, gochujang, which if you don't know what gochujang is, I had my husband grab some earlier. This is a spicy uh, fermented hot pepper paste gochujang it's so so good it's um it's a fermented product so it's healthy for you as well and you can actually find gochujang in um most grocery stores now like it's in you know the walmart's and definitely in costco and big tubs but you can just buy a little bottle of it um but it's in most grocery stores even small town grocery stores now so it's just garlic gochujang a little bit of vinegar and a little bit of honey that's it it's so simple on those blanched dandelion greens, and it is just amazing. It goes perfectly with rice. You can have it with soup. You can have it with, with anything, um, even like with, uh, like with a sandwich or something, you know? It's just, it's um, delicious. It has, it hits all of those flavor notes, um, but uh, it's also so good for you. And you get the added medicinal benefit from the gochujang which is, of course, like I said, a fermented red pepper paste. So it's, you know, you're getting the fermented benefits of that. Of course, vinegar, we all know, uh, is amazing for your health. Honey, uh, you know, is, is amazing as well. And of course, garlic, you know, it's, it's just like it's medicine yeah. um, that tastes
0: really delicious. Mm-hmm. That sounds really delicious. It I'm is. <laughs> I'll make it for you sometime. Yay! <laughs> <laughs> I love that. Like, honestly, my favorite thing to do is to get together with other foragers and forage and cook together because it's the most amazing food. (laughs) (laughs) Always. (laughs) Thank you for sharing that. And y'all don't forget to go to thewanderschool.com under the podcast tab to get that recipe. And um, is there anything you want to share about harvesting tips for dandelion? Because those roots can be stubborn
1: they can be tough and and you know um <laughs> it depends on what you're trying to do you know they make those special dandelion shovels now that are kind of shaped like a v i don't know if you've seen them but but they actually oh. go into the it's a hand trowel, it looks like yeah. but they're v-shaped okay. and they pull the entire dandelion root up Easily, like almost instantly. Yeah, they're yeah. magical. Um, because dandelion roots are tough to, to get out of the ground. And if you leave, um, if, if you want to get the dandelions out of a particular spot, even if you leave a small part of the root, they'll actually grow back vegetatively from that piece of root. Mm-hmm. Um which can be a good thing as well. <laughs> so, uh, but if you want to get the roots out of the ground, yeah, you're going to have to um, to dig for them and, and that's tough. And then you, you need to watch them really well. Um, I like to wait and let the dandelion roots go for a few years because of course, um, especially if you're harvesting the greens and stems and flowers from up top, the plant will send all the energy and medicine down into the root every winter and it'll just get bigger and bigger. So I really like to, to wait a few years before I harvest the dandelion roots.
0: That's a great idea. Yeah. Um, thank you for sharing that. And also want to remind everybody that dandelions are one of the first flowers in the spring. So they're also important for our pollinators.
1: Very, mm-hmm.
0: But I'm so glad you chose that and thank you for sharing about um, how dandelion is a native plant because I've always suspected that. So now I'm gonna have to do some more research on it and the different species. So that is really exciting to me. And
1: yep. Yeah. Oh and I, I guess I should say one more thing is that if you are new to gathering, uh, if you're new to foraging, there's no poisonous look-alike for a dandelion. Mm-hmm. So even if you end up with um, sonkis, you know, the prickly dandelion, people call it, um, or or another species, if it looks like a dandelion, um, uh, uh, you know, it's it's edible. So there's no poisonous look-alikes for dandelion. Okay.
0: Now, what about the latex in the stem? Do you worry about that at all? I don't, I, I've but I've
1: never had a problem with it. Um, and, and in fact... A lot of people use that latex as a sort of medicine, right. um, but uh, but yeah, I've never had a problem. But if you are sensitive to plants that have the latex in them, uh, whether it's milkweed or dandelions or, you know, any lettuce, I mean, lettuce has the latex right. in it, right, that you get in the store. If you're sensitive to that, you can always blanch for a couple of minutes and that will um, uh, help to get rid of those compounds.
0: Awesome. Great. Um, well, we got dandelion. I think what I want to talk about, ooh, I want to talk about two things. So um let's start with you're doing so many different projects. So it's like hard to know which one to talk to you about. But before we start recording, we were talking just a little bit about the land reclamation work that you're doing. Can you talk about that? Oh,
1: sure. Yeah, my husband and I sit on the board of an organization called Makoche Ikikchupi. Makoche Ikikchupi, which is a Dakota, Lakota word uh, for land reclamation, land back, basically. And, um, you know, I'm sure all of you have heard of the land back movement. Um, what does that mean? Well, if you want to know a little more about it, actually, before Land Back was even a thing, the the head of um, our organization, the head of Makoche Chupi, is a woman, uh, a Dakota woman named Waziatawi, W-A-Z-I-Y-A-T-A-W-I-N. Uh, which means North woman. She is an amazing, amazing person. And uh, she was an academic for a long time. And now she just lives it. She just does does all of it, you know, um, raises chickens. And, you know, she's just an amazing scholar though. But she has a book called, What Does Justice Look Like? Mm. And, you know, long story short, it's an amazing book. But But the premise is that the only... Um the only justice for stolen land is land back. That's that's the only that's the only equivalency that logical people can make, right? If you have stolen land or if you live on stolen land, the only way to truly make reparations is to support land reclamation for indigenous people. Um and and that's tough, right? Because of course Everyone who lives here needs land to live on and, and you know, survive on um, and thrive on, hopefully. Um, but Makoche uh, Ikikchupi actually takes donations from settler allies and settler organizations, um, like, you know, churches who want to make reparations and things like that. But uh, we take those funds and we use that money to buy land back. Um, in particular in Minnesota. Um, And so the first bit of land that was purchased by Makoche Ikechupi years ago um, is a tract of land uh, about 22 acres near Granite Falls, Minnesota. And um, the organization then works to build earth lodges on that land so that any um, people, you know, who feel like uh, they don't have a home on their homelands (laughs) can come and live in those earth lodges and live, you know, they just have to live as, as, uh, people. And, um, so, you know, there are people already living in those earth lodges near Granite Falls and, you know, helping to raise chickens and garden and things like that, um, to, to live a good life. And so my husband and I actually, um, you know being part of the organization we recently uh, the organization acquired uh, an organic farm in southern minnesota and that's on 16 acres and we're going to be starting to build earth lodges on there this spring and it's it's so exciting and you can you can go to makoche Ikechupi.com, I'll, I'll make sure to spell that out mm-hmm. for your listeners in, in the comments, uh, in the resources. But yeah, you can check it out. And and of course, we post pictures on Facebook. We just had a gathering there last weekend. Um, uh, and and so the home site near Granite Falls, uh, you know, we, we try to incorporate language into it as much as possible. But the home site near Granite Falls is called Zani Otue, which means uh, village of like good health. And then the um, the village down uh, in southern Minnesota is called Kokoju Otue, which means the village of vibrant growth. And so, uh, you know, hopefully it's going to keep happening and we're going to get more land back for indigenous people uh, to live indigenous lives on (laughs) and uh yeah it's just super duper exciting but really even if any of your listeners you know I I I know like I've met a lot of like older farmer couples Mm -hmm. who you know their kids don't want to farm and so we always encourage them hey you can like leave that land back for um indigenous people and this is a great way to do it um knowing that it will be uh cared for knowing that the land will be stewarded in a good way
0: Hmm. so if folks are listening and they're interested in finding out more maybe they have some land and they're trying to decide what to do with it even if they're outside of minnesota is there a good can they get in touch with makote or is there another place that you'd recommend
1: um, yeah, no, they can absolutely they could contact me um okay. or my husband, Luke Black Elk, and we can put them in touch with Makoche Ikik or they can go directly to the website and um and there's a a, a communications tab on there that they can uh so they can contact Waziatawi directly.
0: Great. Yay, all right, y'all. If you're listening and you're you have a bunch of land and even if you just have an acre or a few that you don't know what to do with, or you're not using, or you don't need. <laughs> um, if you have a bunch of land you might not need at all, then you can get in touch with Luke, or Linda, or Makoche, and find out more. And if you need help with that, I'm happy to help you with that as well. So, that is so exciting. I'm just... I'm, Maybe one day, Minnesota is beautiful, so maybe one day I can yeah. get back out there. I'd love to see what y'all are doing. That would be awesome. Yeah. Are there any other projects that you're working on right now that you want to share about?
1: Um, yeah, I, I mean, you know, we're always making the food kits, um, and so people can find more uh, out about that by contacting me um, on Facebook or Instagram or TikTok, and um. <laughs> Gosh, like we're we're involved in a lot of different work, but um, you know the other thing is that uh, if people are interested in supporting tribal colleges and universities or education, uh, higher education for Native people, I really urge them to look at the American Indian College Fund, um, AICF, and uh, you know, or I, I have to say, if if anyone ever wants to donate seeds so that we can um, continue growing food for our communities, that would be amazing as well.
0: Okay. That would be great. I would bet that a lot of people listening might have that option. So, um, sweet. Can you, I'm sure, well, before we started recording, you told me that you're under how much snow right now? Oh
1: yeah. <laughs>
0: no, it's so funny because what, what do, do you know what temperature it is there in North Carolina? I think you're going to hate me, but I think it's oh. around 60 right now. Oh,
1: <laughs> okay. Well, it's like minus two here, two, two degrees below zero Fahrenheit. And that that's not even as bad as it was. I think it was like minus 18 last night. And, and we're talking about oh. after spring, everybody, yeah. you know, it's supposed to be spring right now. Um, but we are under, uh, it melted a little. So we're under six and a half feet of snow right now. Yeah. With drifts, you know, 10 to 15 feet tall. So it's pretty, it's pretty wild, but, um, so we just, I try to keep telling myself spring is coming. It will come.
0: (laughs) So I'm guessing you're not currently doing much
1: foraging. (laughs) No, no. And, and, you know, I've gathered uh, sometimes um, I I love to do winter foraging, you know, even up here in the Dakotas. I love to gather things like pine needles and spruce needles and, you know, get out there and get some frozen rose hips and and all of that. I I love to do that. But I'm I'm getting kind of exhausted with winter foraging. Yeah we've we've started our seeds already we have seedlings coming up I really really want to get them in the ground and and I'm kind of doubting that I'll even be able to do that um uh, before the end of April so
0: yeah uh, yep <laughs> short growing season yeah for sure um I think those are most of the questions that I wanted to ask you do you want to share really quick are there um a few of your favorite spring forageables oh gosh uh (laughs) you know know. it's probably the same as everybody
1: oh except i i will i'll talk i'll talk about a couple that people might not think about very often Mm -hmm. um uh, I I love nettles. Like, you know, nettles are very commonly harvested in the spring and we love them so much and can't wait to get some fresh nettles. Um, you know, we we love the dandelions, like we were saying, and, um, you know, the different, uh, all of the leaves of the various asteraceae and things. But uh, a lot of people don't eat goldenrod leaves or goldenrod shoots. So those solid ego, the young shoots Ooh. in the spring are delicious. And uh, when they're tender, you know, you just cut them off down by the ground. And of course they grow in such huge colonies that it's, um, it's uh, very sustainable to harvest goldenrod. Ooh. The, the young tips on the top of the goldenrod leaf are one of my favorites. They taste like bitter cilantro, oh. and when you they make an excellent cilantro substitute. Oh. So you can just blanch them really quickly and use them uh, any way you want, or you can eat them raw in salads and things. But yeah, it's one of one of my favorites.
0: Wow, I'm so grateful to know that we have so much goldenrod here. Thanks for sharing. Yes, that. Yeah, for
1: <laughs> you got to well. try it this this spring. Yeah, I definitely. Oh, now would. now that's for you now. Yeah. <laughs> (laughs)
0: awesome and hopefully i'll post the video this is the first time i've recorded video for a podcast but um hopefully i'll post the video too because you have this amazing backdrop behind you and that's real y'all it is yeah yeah that's uh you know and and that is constantly in flux
1: because um we made a commitment a long time ago that we would try to incorporate traditional foods into our diet every day. Mm -hmm. And so, um, that's that, that stuff doesn't just sit there. We actually eat it and use it every day.
0: (laughs) Awesome. Well, before we end, is there anything else that you want to share? Any last moments of words of wisdom or messages that are important to you or anything? Well,
1: I just want to say thank you so much for having me on here. I just, I, I'm so, so grateful. And um so glad that we were able to work it out this time, even though both of us are in flux right now <laughs> yeah. and, and doing so much. So thank you so much.
0: Well, thank you so much again. It's been such a huge honor and like, Not to embarrass you, but, like, you're one of my heroes. (laughs) Thanks so much for saying that. That's so nice. Yeah. And I've wanted to connect with you for so long. So I'm so glad we finally found time in our busy schedules. And um, thanks to everyone who's listening today. And please, if you like this episode, please like it wherever you're listening. Subscribe to the podcast leave comments, share it with all your plant loving foraging friends. And if you want to support this so we can continue to do it, please uh, check us out on Patreon and join our foraging community at patreon.com slash the Wander School, where Linda and I are going to very shortly be talking about fermented foods and how you can make them very easily and accessibly. Um, yes, yeah. And you, I love watching just online your feed all the time, but especially the food-related stuff. I'm always like, that's such a good they idea!" Oh my gosh, that looks so delicious! Wow, I'm gonna make that tomorrow. So, so yeah, Linda's got great stuff. So follow her there. I'm gonna put all of her links in the show notes at thewanderschool.com. Just go to the podcast page. So everything that we mentioned today, I'll try to remember to link them all. And also don't forget you can find her recipe for those delicious dandelion greens there. All right. Well, until next time. Um, Bye, everybody. Have a good one. Yeah, and happy spring. Thanks for listening to this episode of Wander, Forage, and Wildcraft. Don't forget to check the show notes for all of the links from today's episode. Thanks so much to Tina and Her Pony for the use of their beautiful song, Medicine. I love hearing from all of you, so please leave me your comments. And if you like what you've heard, please rate and review this podcast and share with folks you know. You can keep learning and following my adventures on thewanderschool.com and the Wander School Facebook and Instagram pages. Happy wandering, foraging, and wildcrafting! Come on, everyone, and gather round.
1: Listen to the soothing in the sound. I'm here to tell you that
0: medicine. Don't come from a pill, it grows in the ground The medicine we need grows all around